Coming up on today's episode of Membership and Subscription Growth. We found that people who have these audiences, publishers, traditional influencers, um, even just regular people who are enthusiasts inside the community, um, are, are more and more turning to the subscription format as a way to monetize. There was a lot of things wrong with it, but one of the things that they didn't do is they didn't do any research within their audience about what they wanted if they were going to purchase. They didn't, the, the product they put out there, they just sort of announced it one day and it was available for purchase and it was just mistargeted. It wasn't, it wasn't what the audience was looking for. Over the long term, the people that win are the ones that are hyper fixated on um, product quality and product value. Welcome to Membership and Subscription Growth Podcast. I'm Robert Scrobe, your subscription and member retention growth expert. Today's show features Amir Elagizi, CEO of CrateJoy. CrateJoy, it provides everything you need to run, promote, and scale your subscription box business. They provide a platform for sales, marketing, and fulfillment. It really takes the hassle out of starting and running a subscription box business. CrateJoy works with thousands of subscription boxes, so Amir has a terrific perspective on what works and what doesn't within the subscription box world. Amir was the co-founder and CTO of a poker software company, Market Zero, that was acquired by Zynga in 2011. And hey, there was no company hotter in 2011 than Zynga with its IPO in December of that year. Amir stayed with Zynga for a year after the acquisition uh, before leaving to become the founder at CrateJoy. Uh, We'll discuss his reasons for getting into the subscription business together with his insights on what it takes to become successful in today's program. If you like today's show, subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, so now we'll turn it over to our discussion with Amir Alagizi from CrateJoy. I'm here today with the Amir Alagizi, CEO of CrateJoy. Welcome. I'm so uh, excited to have you as my guest on the Membership and Subscription Growth Podcast. Welcome, Amir. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, uh, you started out or years ago, uh, actually not that long ago, you were the, at Zynga and uh, the CTO of Online Games, which you know, at the time was the single hottest segment of the App Store or the social media world. And you jumped uh, to, uh, at the chance to move over and uh, be the CEO of CrateJoy and get into this whole subscription box world. What did you see as the opportunity that led you away from gaming to get into subscription boxes? Well, actually, the company that I sold to Zynga was a subscription uh, revenue primarily. We sold um, data, actually, to consumers and also to, to businesses, and all of our revenue was recurring. So you know, I've, been, I've been on the take um, from subscriptions for a long time as part of my career. Uh, however, I ha- was not in e-commerce yet. Um, you know, when I left Zynga, I was looking at just what brought joy into my life, and um, my wife and I were subscribers to several subscription boxes, including uh, the one that I got that I loved was for my dogs. <laughs> and every month, the subscription box would come in, and it just—I mean, I was—it was. It was I mean, it was for the dogs, but really it was for me. I mean, I got super excited every time um, it came in. It was just a way to spoil my pets, who I loved very much, and I was, it was a cool surprise to see what was coming every month. I just thought it was the coolest thing. So, you know, 
I also knew the power of the subscription business model. I knew that these subscription box companies had all sorts of advantages over traditional e-commerce because they had the predictability of being able to forecast out their inventory needs, not having as much wastage they have to get rid of from sales to get rid of unused inventory. Um, they have that reliability of that recurring revenue, which allows them to make much, much bigger growth bets, to have more leverage over their supply chain. Like I knew that these subscriptions would have all these advantages um, just because of my experience in business, but I didn't really know how big um, of a problem it was to start a subscription. In 2013, I met a guy who was running a subscription called La Tote. Um, it's a subscription for uh, women's fashion. And what he was telling me uh, was essentially, you know, it's actually really difficult to start a subscription in 2013 because all of the software is either built for SaaS, software as a service, recurring revenue, or traditional e-commerce. You know, uh, I want to sell something on the internet once, right? Um, and the subscription commerce on its surface might look like, like either of those, but actually it's fundamentally different. So a simple example is if you're selling products for regular e-commerce, somebody places an order, you go fulfill it as fast as you possibly can, right? Whereas in the subscription commerce world, especially if you're less than you know, 50,000 subscribers, um, what's more typical is somebody places an order, they wait until your shipping time, which is maybe twice a month, um, right. and you go ship all of them at once, right? So you're doing these large batch operations as opposed to one-off fulfillment. Another example is um, in traditional e-commerce, having an account to come back and check on your order is generally optional. Um, whereas in the subscription world, it's mandatory. You have to come in, you have to be able to come back, you know, cancel your subscription, change your options, change your address, all these things, because um, as a consumer, like, you're in an ongoing relationship with, uh, with the merchant that you've purchased from. And, and there's, a, there's, you know, a big long laundry list of differences uh, between e-commerce and subscription commerce, and there was really nobody bridging that gap. It was just... Um, it was just a bunch of subscription merchants in 2013 doing the best they could, you know, hiring contractors and passing around spreadsheets, and it was just a nightmare for them. They would tell me things like, look, I know, I, I know that I'm losing customers because they're not getting their product, and I also know that I'm um, sending product to customers that already canceled, but because I'm using two or three different pieces of technology and shuffling spreadsheets around, I don't you know where the breakage is, and I'm spending all of my time dealing with this rather than growing my business. And that's when I realized, like, hey, there's actually a pretty big opportunity here to help make starting and running a subscription box much, much easier. Um, and, and, you know, I think what made me more excited than anything is being, you know, a lifelong entrepreneur was, and then also, if I do make it easier to run um, a subscription business, I bet you all sorts of new subscription businesses will come out uh, because people who previously it was too hard, could now start experimenting with the subscription model. So that's really what got me going with Greyjoy. Yeah, that's brilliant. Cause, I mean, I work uh, with a, a lot of subscription companies all the time, and one of the first things we do is go through their, their software because often, like you're saying, we'll find folks that, that they're fulfilling that are, but aren't billing uh, or failed charges or uh, you know, a lot of challenges there. And there, there's often, you know, Fifty or a hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue just sitting within the the software that they that they aren't collecting, uh, which goes to you know ex how, how complicated uh, this whole subscription world can be because you know an, a small error that you might have one month compounds every single month and you keep con you continuing to lose the revenue. So it's really fabulous that that you were able to launch Crate Joy as a way uh, you know, to 
to, to make it a whole lot easier to keep up with your subscriptions, to sell subscription boxes, and to grow your business. You know, the thing is that these sub subscription boxes really have been around for several decades, you know, from the Book of the Month Club, Tie of the Month Club, Candy of the Month. You know, they were all huge several decades ago. Why do you think there's so many growth opportunities in the subscription box space today? Well, um, there's a few there's a few things that are driving this. One, people are just becoming more comfortable as a consumer storing their credit card on the internet and expecting that the that it's going to be used to send you the product that you've been asking for. I mean, just look at Netflix or Amazon Prime. You know, it's not been that long that consumers have been comfortable storing their credit card on the internet and and receiving value over time. So there's this sort of comfort level with consumers that's been increasing. Um, but I think probably the more important point is actually the rise of social media. So a good way to think about it is if you were a fan of if you, were, if you were in the Shetland ponies, right, you, and you lived in the Midwest, you might know two or three other people in your, in your neighborhood that are um, into Shetland ponies, which means that, you know, you don't really have that many people to talk, to talk to about your passion, which is Shetland ponies in this example. I mean, you might read a publication focused around Shetland ponies, but that's, but that's a one-to-many interaction. You're not interacting with anybody. You're just consuming that content, um, and, and whatever they write about it is what you learn. Um, but now, because of you know Instagram hashtag communities and Tumblr and Facebook groups, all of a sudden you've got people who are into Shetland ponies in North Dakota talking to people who are into Shetland ponies in you know New Zealand. Um, and all the and what happens when these people start talking about this is um, their tastes become much more nuanced. Right now, the the readers of that publication about Shetland ponies are not just consuming content and then, you know, putting the magazine down and going back to doing whatever they were doing. They're, they're now talking to each other about the content and they're, and they're learning faster and faster and their tastes are becoming more nuanced. And what that does is that creates an opportunity for somebody to come in and say, hey, I can curate products that are targeted specifically for you guys. Um, and ideally, that wouldn't be somebody external to the community. It would be somebody in the community, which is what we mostly see. I can curate products that are specific to us um, that really hit all of the value propositions that we care about as Shetland Pony enthusiasts right on the head. They're super topical to the stuff that we've been talking about. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to wait until you know, that one time, once a month, you run into somebody who's also in a Shetland ponies you know i can send you you know we can talk all the people that we're talking about all the time i can send you um the products that you guys love on a monthly basis and uh you know it'll give us something to talk about inside the community it gives you something to be um you know happy to see show up in the mail and it'll, it'll hit your needs directly on the head in the way that only a fellow community member um, could actually provide so this this social media uh has, has created essentially these addressable markets um, and subscription is a really great way to, to monetize those restful markets because their nuanced tastes um, are underserved by places like Amazon. Because if you're really into Shetland ponies, you don't want to see regular horse brushes. You want to see Shetland pony brushes, right? And, and Amazon doesn't have any. I checked. Um, so, so you have these very, very nuanced tastes. Um, but also, like, you're really just looking for, for things to engage with your community in, and, and uh, Subscription Box provides that, that mechanism. And as an influencer inside the community, you have this asset, which is this community, and you've got esteem within the community. They trust you. They trust your judgment. Your, your options for monetizing that asset are, you know, not amazing, um, and most of them require you to somewhat – you lower yourself, right? You have to do product reviews and, and sort of do CPA deals to, to, 
to pitch other people's stuff, whereas, which kind of, you're a little bit selling your reputation there. Whereas if you run a subscription box and you're just curating the stuff that you love, um, you're not doing that. You're actually adding to your reputation within the community. So you're able to monetize your asset without sort of detracting from your, your image within the community. So uh, we found that people who have these audiences, publishers, traditional influencers, um, even just regular people who are enthusiasts inside the community um, are, are more and more turning to the subscription format as a way to monetize. Yeah, and I think that it, it, the observation that social media and these websites uh, have been a huge uh, lever in creating this because it's now a whole lot easier to find uh, enthusiasts of all stripe and be able to access them because they are they have these little communities and. You know, one of the keys that I see in the subscription box world, where you know, there's some that folks that launch the subscription box and maybe end up with a dozen or two subscribers versus the ones that have a, a much bigger launch, and the ones that have much bigger launches seem to know exactly, or they've done the research, they've done the homework, and they know exactly how to reach their little pocket of customers that they're for, whereas the ones that don't seem to do as well either don't have an understanding of exactly who they're for or they haven't figured out a way to reach them effectively. And, and having, yeah. that, that, having that social media, uh, having a way of you know, tapping that market is just tremendous. So, yeah, well, what? I would actually Sorry. say, hold on, I would actually add to that and say what's more important than having, the, having social media is, is actually just having a really clearly defined market. The people mm-hmm. that succeed um, are people like um, Owlcrate. It's run by a couple out of Toronto. Um, they've got many tens of thousands of subscribers who are doing incredibly well, and they curate books for, uh, they curate books for fans of young adult fiction. Um, and the reason that they do so well is because they were fans of young adult fiction themselves. Uh, they knew exactly what people wanted, and they built a high-quality product that would hit their needs right on the head. And then they were able to go into the existing community with a really, really high-quality product that actually hit their needs. Those are the types of people that do really, really well. The ones that have a harder time are the ones that are like, you know, looking around their house and they're saying, what do I use on a recurring basis? I know, coffee. So I will have a coffee subscription because who doesn't need more coffee? Um, those are the ones that have a harder time because they're selling sort of a commodity product into an, a, a, a large, uh, undefined um, audience, right? And, and so it's, I would say it's not just about having access to the audience. It's about having a very specific value proposition to a, a very specific segment of an audience. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I see so folk, many folks that are in love with their box and what it contains instead of in love with their customer and what that customer is eagerly wanting and anticipating. Yeah, the one thing that I notice, it's really clear that over the long term, the people that win are the ones that are hyper fixated on um, product quality and product value. Okay. Well, well what, does it, what drives someone to subscribe? Is it a discount of getting $50 worth of stuff for $25? Is it the curation of you know, bringing something new? Uh, is it being the first to, to get something? Uh, or is it that gift experience or something else? What's driving these folks to want the subscription box experience? Yeah, so it's, we see about 70% people buying for themselves and about 30% people gifting it to others. Um, 70%, the people that are buying it for themselves, it's mostly... Um, I love this thing, 
and of course I would like to get more of it on a recurring basis, right? So it's it's not a discounting, it's not a straight discounting or a straight value purchase. It's an emotional purchase. Um, that being said, the the value is where retention comes in, right? So if they look at the products when they show up after the first purchase and they sort of do the mental math on how much it all costs and they they say, you know, this doesn't look like I got much or any of a discount on this at all, like they're not going to stay subscribed. So um, the the initial purchase is I love Shetland ponies, I love Korean fashion, I love you know, Southern cooking, like whatever it is, the initial purchase is a, is an emotional one, um, but the subsequent retention is um, largely tied to perceived value. And for gifting, um, you know, it's super seasonal, and it's it's like if they if they know somebody who has a, a niche interest um, and they discover that a subscription exists for that niche interest, they they buy because it's such a unique and amazing gift experience. Mm. Yep. Um, when you look at the, the, your, the most successful Crate Joy subscription boxes or the subscription boxes on the platform that are most successful, what, what is it that they're doing? Uh, what, what, are the, what, what are the similarities that make the, the ones that really take off and grow? Uh, what is it about them that, uh, that's similar? Um, well, three things I would say. Um, the first one is they have a super well-defined target audience. I mean, when I, when I say super well-defined, I mean not just, not just makeup, not just beauty, but like fans of Korean-inspired beauty, right? Like super, super defined um, uh, target audience. Um, two is they're obsessed with the product quality. Um, so they are actually into the products they're selling. They know what good looks like. They know what bad looks like. Um, they know how to com- they know how to curate them in a way that tells a cohesive story. So an example of this is my favorite subscription that I get is Bookroo. It's a subscription for my two and a half year old, um, and they send uh, a curated set of uh, cardboard books um, for my son every single month. And every single month it comes in, there's an insert in the box that tells me exactly why the book why the books were chosen, who the authors are, what else they've written, what they have in common, what they're going to teach my son. But then the books themselves are individually wrapped, and my son gets super excited opening each one of them like it's <laughs> Christmas morning or something, right? Yeah. And, and so they just put so much thought into the actual product experience um, and the product quality. And then the third point is is value. Um, you know, if if the box were to, if the books were to show up, and I would say, you know, hey, I was just at the uh, bookstore the other day, and and these books look like they, you know, cost probably about seven bucks a piece, but I paid, you know, forty bucks for a subscription. I would cancel because like I would just feel taken advantage of it. So the best the best uh, merchants actually spend a lot of energy negotiating using their increasing scale, which is actually increasing leverage with their supply chain, um, to get better and better rates for um, for their subscribers. Nice, and um, when, when uh, you know a lot of uh, these big publishers, um, you know, they, they already have a list, maybe maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe thousands of people who are already buying from them, whether it's a publication or a subscription of some sort. Uh, how have you seen uh, those types of, kind of traditional publishers in the subscription space? Uh, transition successfully into the subscription box world? 
Yeah, so actually, um, we've seen it go very, very well and very, very poorly. So the people that it went very, very well for, they already had a purchase relationship with the with the consumer, meaning they didn't just have a list of email addresses that they gathered from their website or something like that. They had a list of people who had already paid them for something at some point. Um, and when they provided a good product to those lists of people that already had a, a happy purchase relationship with them, um, they saw a high conversion rate um, to paying subscribers and a correspondingly high retention rate. What, what we saw people do poorly is, is when they had a, a fairly unengaged list. So what's an example? We had a person with 10 million followers on Instagram um, launch a subscription and get no signups. And it, it was because they had no purchasing relationship. They had no sort of they had no reputation as a merchant with uh, with their audience at all, and the assumption they made was that they could launch anything, and some percentage of those um, people would actually purchase. And it's just it's simply not true, right? Like if only one tenth have, of one percent buy, I'll be uh, rich. Right? They they got zero percent to buy um, <laughs> because they, they they actually didn't. There was a lot of things wrong with it, but one of the things that they didn't do is they didn't do any research within their audience about what they wanted if they were going to purchase. They didn't, the, the product they put out there, they just sort of announced it one day and it was available for purchase and it was just mistargeted. It wasn't, it wasn't what the audience was looking for and further the audience had no um, sort of, they had no, repu- the, the merchant had no reputation as a, as a merchant. The, the audience didn't feel, you know, that sort of trusting relationship with those people in terms of uh, being a provider of goods yet. So it just didn't work that well. But, you know, the other people who have done it really well had already sort of, they understood their audience, they knew the product they needed to launch into that audience, and the audience had already given their credit card at some point in their life, so they felt pretty comfortable doing it again. So, um, you know, one of the things, you know, they, a lot of these publishers, they've got writers, they, you know, have a printer, or maybe they're sending these products uh, via email or posting them on a, a membership site or, you know, publishing magazines or what have you to their to their subscribers. But the whole idea of curating items, uh, warehousing them, somehow getting them into a box and sending them out uh, to you know some number of cu- you know customer hundreds or you know hopefully thousands of customers just hurts their head. Uh, how does somebody kind of get a grip, a handle on what it would take physically to uh, go from you know? Go from publishing a magazine or a newsletter, and and then having a subscription box offering. Yeah, well, actually, my advice to publishers and, and established brands: we get publishers, we also get uh, rights holders, IP rights holders, okay. um, who are looking to monetize that audience um, or that asset. And uh, my advice to them has always been: don't do it in house. Um, you know, I've seen it go pretty poorly when trying to done in, get done in-house because um, it's just a fundamentally different muscle that, that needs to get exercised, and, and they've never done it before. Um, it, it, it's just hard to sort of cold boot that without the experience. Um, I would say partner with somebody who's done it before. Um, okay. You know, we're, we, we, we partner with people to help them start their subscriptions. Um, there, are other, there are other companies that, that do the same thing. Um, they can help you understand what the – um, logistics, the supply chain, the fulfillment, all of that sort of stuff is. They can help you understand how to price, how to, um, you know, n- how to minimize your inventory risk. Um, they can they can help you reduce the customer support burden because there will be one. Um, they can they can help you with all of these things that you know uh, otherwise you, you sort of have to 
stumble through on your own, and, and frequently it, it, it doesn't go super well if there's nobody inside the organization that's ever scaled out um, an e-commerce business before. So I would say partner, don't, don't build inside, uh, inside the organization if possible. And, and for a company that maybe already has a publication with advertisers or maybe they have sponsors for a conference or something that they're putting on, um, are they able to I mean, source products maybe that are sponsored or uh, are they looking are they, you know, or most of these boxes, are they having to purchase uh, all the products that go into the box? So what I've seen work is um, – so. First thing, Robert, the most important thing is optimizing for the quality of the, the product experience that the consumer is going to be receiving, right? So it's actually wrong to think about what do I have access to and then, and then plan from there. Instead, think what do my consumers want um, and figure out how to give them that. Um, so what I've seen work is I've seen work people, um, existing businesses start by using the size of their audience to get below wholesale uh, prices for um, products that their consumers want. And then over time, and that's how they start, so they're buying things below wholesale, so they get great margins from the beginning. And since they have a demonstrably large audience, um, these, these wholesales will work with them, right? Um, then over time, as they start to achieve scale, they're able to cut deals with advertisers and run, and run all sorts of specials. And sometimes those products that their advertisers sell actually makes sense in the inside the box. Sometimes their advertisers say things like, oh, we actually are launching a new product line. We've got 100,000 samples of the new pudding that we're coming out with. You know, would that make sense to your, to your audience in the subscription box? So you, you start seeing that sort of stuff over time. But what I've seen do poorly is this one they say, okay, well, you know, we have access to, to you know, these four products, so this is the product we're going to put in our subscription box. It's like, yeah, um, that's not True North. True North is what the consumers want to get. That is brilliant. And uh, so obviously, uh, CrateJoy is a terrific option, and for, for you know, I guess, hundreds of subscription boxes already are utilizing thousands. the thousands, thank you, uh, 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 subscription boxes are already using the CrateJoy platform back into partner. What does it look like to partner with CrateJoy? How does um, and then how would somebody go ahead and get started if they wanted to, you know, begin that process and start getting information about your your CrateJoy and what they can do to create their own subscription box? Well, so most folks who want to get started with a new business, they don't have an existing brand, they don't have an existing audience. Um, the right thing to do is just go to CrateJoy.com and start a start a trial on our. Um, on our platform, and you can start setting up the, the business right there. There's a lot of educational materials at subscriptionschool.com, which is a free website we run where we put data, interviews, interesting content um, for people who might want to start a subscription box, answers questions like, how do I buy boxes, things like that. So those two resources uh, are enough to get going for a brand-new business. For an existing business that's looking to add a subscription box as a, um, as a product line, uh, I'd urge them to email me, Amir at Crayjoy, or, or email sales at Crayjoy, and, and our sales manager will get back with them, and we can discuss what a partnership would look like. Brilliant. That's wonderful. Any, uh, I mean, it's it's great advice. What you have is the the, the three criteria, the three big uh, pieces of subscription boxes that grow. And I'd absolutely agree that 
the, the target market is, is crucial. And if you don't understand who you're selling to and have access to them, uh, you really are not going to be successful no matter what type of subscription that you are offering. That unboxing experience, making it amazing. Uh, you, know, they, you can absolutely tell the difference between boxes that where, you know, even though the items might be great, uh, the way they're put packaged, the way that the, the customer experiences them when they open the box, it can be completely different. Even in the same niche, two boxes can have a very, very different experience. Uh, one good, the other not as exciting and interesting. And of course, that that whole subscription box, that gift of uh, feeling is what you're trying to go for, and then also the, the inherent value of the products that you are delivering. Amir, any other advice or tips for somebody that's uh, in the subscription box world and looking to grow their business? Well, so the one tip that I have, and I'm always surprised when I find out people don't already do this, but if you are in the subscription box space, or looking to be in the subscription box space, you need to get subscription boxes. You need to have subscriptions. You need to have them show up at your house. You need to experience what it's like to open them. You need to see the difference between bad and good. You need to understand the content that's coming along with the products itself. It's not just about the products. You need to see how they make you feel the value and the, and the sort of hand-picked and personalized effort that's gone into each box. Or they don't, and then you cancel, right? You need to actually experience that. So um, I always urge people to have subscriptions. At any given time, I have 20-plus active subscriptions. Um, and you just see it's really obvious when they show up at your house, like the, the ones that are doing a good job, the ones that are doing a bad job. And you also learn a lot about where the industry is going by watching um, what people are doing uh, with the subscriptions. Um, so you know, if you don't have any active subscriptions, go get some. CrateJoy.com is 3,000 merchants to choose from. Um, go, go get some subscriptions. Give some subscriptions to friends and get their feedback and just start to understand what the lay of the land looks like. Yeah, I I I I couldn't I couldn't agree more and you know, I have all these subscriptions that for for dog stuff and I don't have a dog but uh but I certainly make the uh, folks around here at this office uh my office feel great cuz I you know here you know here are three dog boxes that I'm done with and you can now share with your pet they think it's it's amazing but no uh getting those subscriptions are is 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 smart not only in boxes but also look at the uh, publishing world and see what they're doing because um, while the subscription box uh, niche is massive and probably one of the fastest growing segments of the subscription world. These publishers have been around for decades and understand what what it takes to subs to get subscribers and renew them. Uh, so I absolutely take a look at CrateJoy.com. Also take a look at Subscription School to learn more about subscription businesses. And uh, for all you big guys looking for partnering opportunities, uh, send a quick email to sales at CrateJoy.com or Amir at CrateJoy and, uh, and follow up with opportunities for, uh, for creating subscription boxes to your uh, subscriber list. Amir Alagazi, thank you so much for being my guest today at Membership and Subscription Growth. And uh, it's what a great, great, great information for folks, really of any subscription, uh, but in particular uh, subscription boxes. Thank you. Yeah, of course, Robert. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Membership and Subscription Growth. Next week, my guest is Dustin McAdams of PupJoy. I think you're really going to like this show because... 
Pup Troy is with one of the most competitive niches on the planet. It's a subscription box serving pet owners and particularly dog owners. And you know, there's a lot of competition in the dog owner niche for, you know, for a lot of noise, a lot of people trying to get their message across. We're going to talk a little bit about how Dustin McAdams gets his message heard and stands up uh, through all the noise and uh, gets noticed and gets subscribers for his subscription box. We're also going to talk about the most important aspect of the customer experience for subscription box and how to educate consumers about customization options that they have with their subscription box. Plus, Dustin is really working to create the subscription box as a platform to grow a full-scale retail business for pet owners. So it's really fascinating to see his thinking uh, of beyond the box, what ha- what's going to happen two, three, four moves uh, later. And for anyone who has a subscription program or a subscription box, understanding the next steps of using this subscriber base, not only to grow it, but also to grow a much bigger business. All that and more with Dustin McAdams on our next episode of Membership and Subscription Growth. If you like today's episode, subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. Love to hear from you and get your feedback. Well, thank you very much for listening to Membership and Subscription Growth. We'll see you next time on our next episode with Dustin McAdams with Pup Joy.